0: Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Genesis chapter 14, let's look at verse 13. A man had escaped. He came and reported to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother, Eschol, of Amner, and all who were killed with Abram. And Abram heard that his relative Lot had been taken captive. So he calls out to 318 men born in his household, and they pursued as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men, attacked them, and routed them, pursuing them as far as a couple areas. And he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot, brought back his possessions, and together all the women and other People. And Abram returned from defeating the kings that were allied with him, and the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shabbat, that is the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem or Jerusalem, brought down bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of the heaven and the earth. Praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. God gave Abraham the victory. And Melchizedek was being very clear to Abraham that the victory in the battle you've just won is because of the blessing of God on your life. And what does Abraham do in response to that blessing of Melchizedek? He gives him a tenth or a tithe of everything. And the king of Saddam said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. We'll just stop there. This is a story about two men and... The primary focus is how these two men's view on finances influence their families and their faith. Abraham would have been under the viewpoint or the belief that you cannot disconnect your faith from your finances. You cannot disconnect your spiritual life from your natural day-to-day life. That we are body, soul and spirit. We're a triune being. And there 's at no point really biblically the idea that you just rem- you separate your life that 's why the Bible is even described as profitable unto us for godliness and for life. So the Bible is clear that, that it 's profitable not just for our spiritual walk but it 's also profitable. It gives us great advice on how to go at life, how to go at relationships, how to go at ourselves, how to go at our finances. And so Abraham seen the connection where Lot believed that the two were disconnected. His personal life, his financial life was separated from his walk with God. And the point of this story is what you believe about your finances does reach beyond your finances. We have a tendency to think or underestimate possibly that one area of our life does have a ripple effect and it finds its way into other areas of our life. You're not an isolated, not one area of your life is just isolated and then another area over here is isolated and another area over here is isolated. This is why the Bible says, put Jesus first and all these things will be added to you. But first doesn't mean on, a, on like one, two, three, like a, like a list. First means center means Jesus is the center and everything else in your life revolves around that. Jesus is connected to your family. He's connected to your finances. He's connected to your health. He's connected to the way you think. He's connect- That's him being first. So the story here is Abraham and Lot, they were very close. Most know that Lot was Abraham's nephew, but they miss out on the fact that Lot's father had died when he was very young and that Abraham's father had raised both Lot and Abraham together. So they were more like brothers. They're extremely close. They've walked together in life for about 75 years at the time of this story. So they're not just close. They have been close for almost a century together or three quarters of a century. And the way that the story begins is God blesses Abraham, tells him to go to a land and that when he gets there, God will show him exactly what to do. And Abraham does that. Lot kind of follows behind Abraham and they get to this particular land and they begin to succeed wildly. I mean, they, they're they so successful, both Abraham and Lot are both so successful that the land that they're in can't contain both of their success. Abraham's livestock and herds, and then Lot's livestock and herds and their crops, they begin to kind of come, step on each other's toes a little bit, and their staff, the Bible says, begin to argue, begin to quarrel with one another. They begin to fight with one another. And so Abraham hears that the staff of Lot and his staff, are they have animosity, they're at odds, they're, they're fighting, they're, they're quarreling, they're angry, they're frustrated. And so Abraham grabs Lot and he says to Lot, hey, listen, um, I don't think that there should be a reason to be angry or to be fighting or to be quarreling. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just, uh, you go one way and I'll go the other way. You take everything that's yours and you go one way and I'll take everything that's mine and I'll go another way. And Abraham says to Lot, if you want to go left, I'll go right. If you want to go right, I'll go left. And so Lot hears what Abraham says, and he goes out and he looks, he looks one way, and it's 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 not too fertile. And there it's 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 got a lot of mountains and rocks and, and valleys. It's, it's not a place that that's fertile to feed the, the crops and to take care of the livestock and the herds. So so he doesn't go that way. And he looks around and he sees off in the distance this plain that's so beautiful, so fertile. That that it's as though God himself had planted a garden. The Bible says it was God's garden is what it looked like. And so Lot looks around, he looks at Abraham and he says, okay, I'm going to pick this area that looks like God himself planted a garden. And so Lot takes his livestock, takes all his stuff and he goes over this fertile area. Abraham looks and he goes the opposite way. He goes in a direction that according to what Lot had saw, there was no way he could succeed at the same level. And the reason I bring this up is because Abraham begins to show us how priorities work in the things of God. His faith caused him to prioritize his family. His faith caused him to prioritize that God was his source. Whereas Lot prioritized his his possessions and he believed that he was the source. When Lot wanted to expand his life, he looked out. When Abraham wanted to expand his life, he built an altar and he looked up. Because Abraham knew I can't just look at the natural, I've got to include my source, and my source is God. And so he built an altar. Because he knew he did not need just the natural. He needed the super on his natural. And so he built an altar. So Abraham said, there's no reason to be angry around this subject. There's no reason to be frustrated, which is what happens in church a lot of times. As you start talking about faith and finance, and people get upset. People get angry. And there's usually three mindsets behind the way we think about finances. First, It's what's yours is mine. This is a toddler mindset. We all know how it works, right? Mine. 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 Even if it's not theirs, mine. The people who's with God all the time, mine. Mine. Well, if it's the tithe, it's not yours. It's God's. Now, you can take it and you can do whatever you want to do with it. That's fine, but it's not yours. It's not yours. You can say mine, 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 but it's not yours. It's his. And then what happens to the little toddler? They get some Cheerios all gushed in their mouth, and maybe some baby food mixed in, and, and it goes onto the floor and got dog hair all nasty, in it. and then they pick that up and they go, "Yours." <laughs> it's funny, but we're all guilty, are we not? Taking something we don't even really want. we're gonna, Here you go, God. That's yours. Number two is what's mine is mine. This is an immature mindset, which is really the way Lot thought. Lot thought that what was his was his. Recently, I was talking to a friend of mine. And this is a story that's several years old, and it's a, a guy that he happened to have to walk through the process. He was he was dying, and. Um, this individual had an opportunity to be there with him uh, the day, last days, the final days of his life. And he looks up at, at my friend and he's, he's so worried. And he says, when my family comes in the room, do not leave. They're gonna try to take my stuff. He's days away from leaving this planet and he's so scared that people are gonna take his stuff. So my friend begins to talk to him about what he's saying and he's like, you... you Outside of a miracle, you're days away from eternity. And he said to him, why are you so worried right now about that? He said, because I've always believed that whoever has the most toys when he dies wins. Think about it. What's mine is mine. It's an immature mindset. It's a mindset that begins to think that somehow or another it matters at the end, what you have, but you don't take it with you. And you might be saying, well, I don't know what that matters to you. It doesn't matter to me, but I can tell you right now, in eternity, he took none of his stuff with him. None of it went with him, and none of it goes with us, and it's an immature mindset to think what's mine is mine. The mature mindset is what's mine is from God, all of it. And my job is to find out why has God blessed me in the way that he has? Why has God given me what he's given me and how can I use it to make a difference? I know that God has blessed me and now I have to put a purpose on the blessing and use what God has given me to make a difference. And Abraham knew what he had been given was from God. And so he went at his life like he was in a divine partnership with God. He knew that without God, we cannot But without us, God will not that the heavens belong to God and the earth belongs to us. And if God's going to do anything in the earth, he's going to do it with us, through us for his glory and for our good. So I like how John Maxwell said it. He said, do your giving while you're living so you be knowing where it's going. You want to know where it's going. You want to know what the point is, what the difference. You don't want to wait until you're gone and then just random people kind of throw it wherever it needs to go. So in this story, we begin to find that Lot begins to have an immature mindset towards finances. And as a result, we notice that he becomes a target to the enemy. He ends up being taken as a prisoner of war. All of his possessions and stuff was also taken as spoils. His family, his wives, his children were all taken into captivity. And in the process of Lot and his family being taken captive, someone escapes and they go and they tell Abraham, Lot, your family, they're in trouble. They've been taken captive. They're under attack. They're in the enemy's hands. You need to do something about it. And I love the fact that the Bible does not tell us the name of this person. All they do is they tell us he escaped with a very important message. Because his name doesn't matter, but the message he came to preach to Abraham does matter. In the church, no preacher's name matters. It's the message that we deliver that's of great importance. And we deliver it with great urgency. We deliver it with great responsibility because we understand that there are families under attack. There are lives under attack. There is the next generation that's under attack. The church is under attack. Our nation is under attack. And it's the no-name preacher's job to look at you and say it should not be happening on our watch. We don't just sit back and allow the enemy to wreak havoc in our families and our lives. And us not stand up and do something about it. So I came to wake up the fight in you. I came to wake up the faith in you. Abraham takes this sermon that he receives from a no name preacher and he reaches out to 318 men and says, I need you to help me. It's going to cost you, you're going to be putting your life on the line, but it's going to help me rescue Lot and his family. I think about every Sunday, I don't preach to thousands. I preach to a select few. I preach to a select few that understand the importance of not just sitting and listening and spectating, but people that understand, I know there's a generation to be rescued. There's a nation that needs to be reached. There's lost people that are away from God. And at some point, there's a 318 that stand up and say, you can count on us to go. You can count on us to get in the fight. You can count on us to go into the battle. And we're not gonna just sit back and watch the enemy destroy our homes. In our nation. If you've ever watched in wildlife or Mother Nature, it's interesting the extreme measures they go to to preserve the species. Whatever species it is, Mother Nature takes it very serious that they, the odds are against the immature. The odds are against the young. So Sarah and I were on a beach uh, some time ago and, and there was this this little fence, and it was around the sand area that they said a turtle had laid its eggs in this area. And it begins to explain how many hundreds of eggs are laid and how many times they come back a year to lay eggs. And then they gave the statistical probability of how many of those eggs would hatch and that the turtles would actually live. And it was, it was like very, very small percentage and so Mother Nature knows to beat the odds, we have to do more. If you ever watch National Geographic or the Discovery Channel and you see the young are the, the, the vulnerable, the young are the hunted, the young is who the predator looks for. And so this is why it's important in church we go to great extremes to protect the immature, to speak to the immature, to say to the 318 that are mature, to say, hey, we gotta be doing what we can do to raise up the maturity level of the church. We do, we have, to, we have to work really hard. That's why we talk about discipleship on Tuesday nights. That's why we talk about Summit, discovering your gifts and getting in the game. That's why we talk about small groups and grouping up because we believe if you team up and group up, you'll have a strong likelihood of growing up. If you isolate and you do it on your own, then you're gonna keep having the same patterns and same behave mindsets and committee meetings in your head and it will produce the same results for you. But if you get around some bigger people, You get around some Abrahams, you get around some people whose faith is big for what God can do that will help you mature. So number one, let's look at it real quick. Lot separated his faith from his finances. He did not recognize where the blessing came from or why the blessing was there. Where Abraham put his trust in God, so pressure came and he gave more. Pressure came and he looks at Lot and he says, where do you wanna go? Whatever area you wanna go, I'm gonna give that to you. I'm not gonna worry about me. I'm not gonna worry about my situation. I'm not gonna worry about my, whatever you want because Lot placed his trust in God and under pressure, what came out of him was a desire to give, to give to his family, to give for the preservation of the, the future for his family. Whereas Lot trusted in himself So he sees this as an opportunity to separate from Abraham and under pressure, he takes more. Under pressure, he sees Abraham and he breaks off from Abraham and he says, okay, I'm gonna go over here. And I don't care about Abraham. I don't care where he ends up. I don't care what happens to him. I'm gonna pick and do what's best for me and me alone. Today, many are here and they need to hear from God in this area of their life. The reason under pressure you pull back or the reason when, when you hear sermons like this, maybe you're anger, angry, you need to have a conversation with the father of our faith for just a minute. Listen to what Abraham's saying. Don't fight over this subject. Don't be angry. Don't, don't rage. Don't, don't have animosity. Don't live like that. Just mature a little bit. Just, just decide I'm gonna grow up in this area just a little bit. This is why at Seven Hills, we always say, this is not an opportunity for us to raise money. Seven Hills has never sent out a bill to one person. We have people that have attended here for decades and they've never given a dime to Seven Hills. And we serve them and we love them like we would anybody else. This is not reverse psychology. This is a point. If you can find any other area in the world, in life, at all, that that happens, I would please like to see it. Go get a shirt today. Go get lunch at Cracker Barrel today and just see what happens when you walk out. They're gonna send you to prison, right? That's what they're gonna send you to jail. They're gonna arrest you because it's not the way that the world works, but the way the kingdom works is we recognize that when we look out at you, This is our job to be mature. So this is our gift. The 318, it's their gift to you. Your children will always be taken care of. You can attend here as much as you want. You can enjoy everything as much as you want and you'll be treated like anybody else. And that's if you never, ever give to Seven Hills. So be released from the frustration, from the anger, from the rage that can sometimes the enemy can use because I'm not asking you to give to seven hills. I'm asking you to mature. I'm asking you to grow up, and I'm asking you to look in the scripture at what happens when you separate your faith from your finances. Does God love you? Absolutely. Will he fight for you? Absolutely. Will God make sure that he's there for you no matter what the situation? Absolutely, but what happens to us when we separate our faith from our finances is something that you, God cannot stop, and that is we believe that in our life, The immature mind says what's mine is mine. So I'm looking for more and more and more. I'm looking for bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm trying to gain more stuff. I'm never content with what I have. I'm in a constant state of not having enough. And notice the amount for Lot was never enough. No matter what he was given, he was always trying to get more and more and more. In Luke chapter 12, it introduces us to a guy that said to himself, that God's blessed me, I need to build some bigger barns and then some bigger barns. And what did he fill that with? Himself, he filled that with self. It was his, what's mine is mine. Where God shows up or Jesus shows up and he says to him, fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And he gives him the reason. It's not because he was wealthy. It's not that God needed him to be poor. It's Jesus was saying he had all this stuff, but he believed it was his, and there was no room for God in what he was doing. And the Bible says specifically that he was a fool because he was not rich towards God. He disconnected his finances from his faith. And God said, You're a fool when you do that. Abraham responds to every attack that he's under with generosity. When there's frustration between him and Lot, he's generous when Lot is being taken captive and even though Lot did not, was not concerned about Abraham's well-being, Abraham doesn't care. He still puts himself at risk for his family, puts himself at risk for the next generation, is always doing what he can to go out and help others. The Bible says he builds this altar and God begins to give him a plan. He doesn't have anything in the natural like Lot has, but he has an altar. And God begins to speak to him specifically gives him a dream gives him a vision gives him a plan i would call this a budget he begins to say to him hey you have to make sure you know exactly where your finances are going and give your finances a mission don't live without a financial mission don't live with no real plan except for me and mine and more maturity says, I'm going to set the budget, I'm going to include God in the equation, and I'm going to start telling my money where to go. And Abraham is the father of our faith, and one of the greatest qualities he possessed is his ability to fight for his family, and that he never removed God from any area of his life, including his finances. He didn't build an altar and put a checkbook on it, but that's because he didn't have a bank. He just had animals and stuff, but he built the altar, and he put his stuff on the altar and said, God, it's yours. Now, what do you want me to do with it? And where do you want me to go? And whatever you call me to do, I'll obey you because you are my source. But Lot went a different direction. And because of his immaturity, he became, he became easy prey to the enemy. And the Bible says Lot was easily defeated His family is taken captive. His possessions are stolen. And it takes some no-name person to come and say to Abraham, you need to get up. We need you to pull a small army together. We need you to pull some resources together because your family is in trouble. Notice the only hope for the immature is for God to raise up the mature. The only hope for an immature church is that God would raise up some mature within the church. It's the 318 that say, I recognize that when I was young, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child, I did childish things. But now that we're grown up, we put away childish things. I cannot live with the toddler mindset. I cannot live like that. I've got to get in the game of rescuing those who have been taken captive by the enemy. Luke 16 defeats the lie that if I had more, I would do more. And it says, what you do with little, you'll do with much. If you're unfaithful with little, you'll be unfaithful with much. So the belief that if I had more, I would do more is actually a lie. The Bible says God does not work that way. Anytime somebody says, if I had this, I would do this. If I won the lottery, I'd be really good with, I would do something great for God, but God doesn't see it that way. This is how God sees it. He's not looking at yesterday's obedience. He's not looking at tomorrow's intentions. He's looking at today's trust. Do you trust me today? Get an altar, get a vision, get a plan, and get a budget. Which brings me to number two, connect your resources with the kingdom. Connect your resources, make sure you include God. So Abraham gets the victory. They go, they attack the enemy. They rescue Lot, they rescue his family. They get all the possessions that were looted and stolen and they bring them back and they walk into this king's valley. As they walk into this king's valley, the allied kings were all meeting in this valley together and down walks Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem and a priest to the most high God. And Melchizedek walks down into this valley and the Bible says Melchizedek blesses Abraham and that Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth. Now, the question is, who is this man, Melchizedek? Well, Hebrews chapter 7, the author begins to explain to us a little bit about who this man is. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of God most high, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteous, also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains the priest forever. Resembling the Son of God, he remains the priest forever. So the author of Hebrews is teaching us who this man Melchizedek is. In the Old Testament, you have two primary ways God appears. God, number one, appears through Christophanies. A Christophany would be an appearance of Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem of Judea about 2,000 years ago because Jesus was, was in existence before time as we know it. He was there in Genesis chapter one at creation. He was before time, he was before days, he was before all that and he exists beyond it. And so the point of this story or Melchizedek is It's either a Christophany or it's a type. A type is a foreshadow of the real thing. So the Old Testament is primarily filled with these types, these foreshadows of the real thing. When you get to the New Testament, you're getting what's called the anti-type or the real thing. All these things, these shadows, all of these types that were pointing to something in the New Testament, we get to see what, the anti-type, or the real thing is. The purpose of the type is so you and I can accurately identify the real thing or the anti-type. So the Old Testament gives us all of these types. For example, He uh, Exodus chapter 12 talks about when families bring a sacrifice, they are to go and get a lamb without defect, without spot, without blemish, and they give that to God. The priest looks at the lamb, make sure there's no defects. Once it's identified as pure and clean and spotless, then that lamb can be given for the sins of the family, where this is a type we would know that Jesus is walking down to the River Jordan to be baptized. John the Baptist looks up and says, behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus coming, walking over, identified as the Lamb, he's calling him the anti-type. This is the fulfillment. This is the real thing. This is the final sacrifice. By the way, he's without sin. He's spotless. He's without defect. He's He is clean. He is pure. And he, because of that, is the Lamb of God. that comes to take away not the sins of a person, not the sins of a family, not the sins of the nation, not sins periodically or annually as we offer sacrifices, but sins of the whole world, past, present, and in the future is the anti-type. It talks about when there are serpents that were biting, all of those in Israel who were murmuring and complaining. God tells Moses to lift lift up the bronze serpent in the wilderness and anybody who sees the bronze serpent will be healed and cured. And the idea is this is a type. It's not the appearance of Christ. It's a type. It's a foreshadow. It's pointing us to the cross. is Jesus hangs and he bleeds and he dies, that's the serpent. The Bible actually says it's the serpent being lifted up. Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. When you look at the cross, what you're looking at is you're looking at the effects of the serpent. You're looking at sin, our sin, not his sin, your sin and my sin and the sins of the whole world poured upon him. Why? So we can look at what sin is like. We can look at the bloody, bruised, broken, battered, body of Jesus, savagely beaten. And we can look at that and we can say to ourselves, my God, what is that all about? That's about your sin. And when you look at your sin, when you look to the cross, guess what happens? God can cure and heal you from the venom of sin that's coursing through your veins. The cross is the antitype; It's the fulfillment. Why am I saying that? Because the writer here says that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, that he resembles or he's like the son of God. So Melchizedek is not Jesus, but he's pointing, he's a type, he's the foreshadowing to Jesus. So verse four, it says, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people that is from fellow Israelites. Even though they are descended from Abraham, this man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. He collected a tenth from Abraham who blessed him who promised. Without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. That's where my sermon title came from. The lesser is blessed by the greater. This is an important part. In the one case, this is talking about the tribe of Levi. The tenth is collected, but those people die. So this is, this is the way that in the Old Testament, when they gave to the tribe of Levi, when they, when they did that, that tribe, those people, in the, that, those tribes, they would eventually, they would die. So under the Old Covenant, when you gave, you gave to the tribe of Levi, you gave to those people. But the Bible says here, but in the other case, this is the Melchizedek case, or really the case of Jesus himself, It's collected by him who is declared to be living. The point is that in the same way Abraham brought his tithe to Melchizedek and the greater was Melchizedek, he blessed the lesser because the greater always blesses the lesser, right? The the patriarch blesses his children and his grandchildren, The greater in the Bible blesses the lesser. So this means Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Well, no one was greater than Abraham if you're a Hebrew, which is who this letter is being addressed to. That's why it's called Hebrews. No one was greater than Abraham. Jesus and John 8, they almost killed him because he said before Abraham was I am. So this was a strong point that Jesus is making and what what the author of Hebrews is making is he's saying this in the same way that Melchizedek, was given the tithe by Abraham, so you and I, we don't give to Levi, we don't give to man. When we give, we give to Jesus. And the same way that Melchizedek, you don't have his birth and you don't have his death. You don't have the, the, his genealogy in any way, so it is With God, he existed before time and he'll exist after time. And so when we give to God in the same way that Melchizedek would bless Abraham, Jesus also blesses us. In the same way Abraham gave to Melchizedek, you and I are called to give, not to man, not to a church, but you are called to bring God into your faith and your finances and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do and what are you calling me to give? Whatever battles you face, whatever victories you win, the key is I need to connect God. I need to connect my life with the kingdom. Dave Ramsey says it like this. You give 10 percent, you save 10 percent, and you live off 80 percent. If you make a thousand dollars, you give God a hundred. You give yourself a hundred. You say, that's impossible. There's no way I can do it. If your salary was cut by 20 percent, you'd survive. You'd figure it out. So So the goal is that there's a part of my income I spend and there's a part of my income I invest, first of all, in the kingdom, second of all, in my future. If all my paycheck does is deal with bills, then all I'm doing is dealing with my past, what I've already consumed. So I have to say my paycheck is not just for consumption, it's for investment. It's for my future, And so I work on saving up, according to Dave Ramsey, six months, which is an emergency fund. You push that back. And then after you get to there, you continue to put that money back for the purpose of taking advantage of opportunities when they come, investments when they come, so you create another place for God to bless you. The Bible says when you tithe, it opens up the windows, plural, of heaven. So it's not just God blessing your paycheck, it's God using the paycheck and as you invest it God is blessing the other areas of your life because he wants to open up windows plural over your life so money is a tool in the hand of the generous but it is a god in the heart of the greedy right now money is either a tool in your hand or a god in your heart and it does not matter how much you give it's the approach Have I identified that everything I have is from God and what belongs to Him? And my job is to collect my finances to the kingdom. And when I do that, God connects my heart to the King of that kingdom. The Bible says it like this where my treasure is, my heart will be also. The Message Bible says, where your treasure is, it's the place you'll most want to be. Why do people that love Jesus Christ so long to be in the world, long to? Uh, experience the things of the world. Just all their life is eaten up with carnality. Why, why do you think that that is? It's because that's where they're invested. But if you'll invest in the kingdom, if you'll invest in kingdom purposes, your heart will follow your treasure is what the scripture says. First Timothy 6, verse 17 says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, and you are rich. I know you're like, that's not for me. You're in the top 2% of wealth in the world. If you're here and you make $30,000 a year or more, you're in the top 2%. If you have a car, you're the top 2%. If you take have a closet that you put your clothes, that's called that's that's a storage area and then you take your summer clothes and you put them in little containers and you take them down to your storage shed and then you take all your loose change and you fill up these little things with it, right? That's the definition of wealth in this world. Not the people with the millions of dollars just just The fact that we live in this beautiful country, we're wealthy. And it talks about, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Notice how Paul is training Timothy, connect your faith with your finances. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share, store up for yourself treasure of a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. He says you can enjoy your finances and the way to enjoy it is to give your money a mission. I don't love money, I enjoy it. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of it is the root of all kinds of evil because it begins to control me, it begins to move me, all my decisions are based on it. Philippians 4.15 talks about how generosity is so rare but that's why God needs to speak to us. Moreover, as Philippines, or the Philippians know, in the early days of the acquaintance with the gospel, I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Paul was telling the church at Philippi they were rare because they were generous, and generosity is rare. Seven Hills, I need to say to you, you are a rare group of people. You are incredibly rare, you're, you're, you're incredibly unusual. You know, the, the national t- t- statistic is only 2% of Christians, I'm say it like this, Christians only on average give away 2% of their income. And for unbelievers, it's drastically less than that. So even for people that go to church, generosity is very rare. And because of that, there's all kinds of evil even finding its way into the church. We don't know what we believe. We don't know where we stand on things. We're influenced by culture. We're we're intimidated, scared, fearful of, of the world and cancel culture and all these things that are going on out there. And it's because we're emotional, we're sporadic, we're up and we're down. We're on a roller coaster all the time because we do what we feel. And it's so important how we feel. And I have to feel good about everything and I can't feel uncomfortable with anything. The problem is my job is not to help you become my job's not to help you stay the same. My job is to push you into being a greater version of yourself than what you are. And nobody can change the world if finances is their God, because money is a terrible God. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's written in red, by the way. So get mad at Jesus if you need to. Number three, expect God to bless you. What is the purpose of God's blessing? Genesis 12, verse two. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. The first three are your response; are, are, are on God. He'll bless you, he'll make your name great, but the final one is on you and I. We're blessed not for bigger, we're blessed not for more, we're blessed not for self, but we're blessed to be a blessing. That includes every area of our life, not just church life, every area of our life. This is, we're blessed to be a blessing to our family. We're blessed to be able to go through great sacrifices to go and help family and go and help friends and go and help the community and the world that we live in. We're, 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 because we know how to handle our stuff, it enables us when the attacks come, we can be there to serve and we can be there to help. God can speak to us to do this and to do that. The fourth job is ours. Finances create options and options are a good thing. You want to know if you had to, could you send your kid to that school? If you had to, could you get your child to that doctor? If you had to, could you make sure that this inheritance is being stored up for the next generation and then after that as well? 2 Corinthians 9 11 says, You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Isn't that beautiful? You helped me in Philippians 4.15, is what Paul said. You did something so rare. You did something no one else did. In verse 19, Paul responds and says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, you're not gonna be at the mercy of no options. That's not how God works. When you get into partnership with him, he makes sure that he speaks to you and he blesses you and it gives you options. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There's one who withholds what is justly due yet results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters himself will be watered. It's not bigger and bigger barns. It means impact. It means legacy. It means making a difference with my life. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, and God... Is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound to every good work in Jesus' name. And Paul did not write that to people who pray. He did not write that to people who fast. He didn't write it to people who read their Bible. He wrote it as a promise to those who honor God finances, who keep their finances and their faith together. Paul says, You will experience supernatural provision in your life. And it's not the church raising money. This is how God has chosen to do it. This is God's way to advance the kingdom in the earth is he gets it to us and he gets us through us. And that's what he's looking for. If he gets it to us, can he get it through us? So how does he do this? Real simple. Number one, don't separate your faith from your finances. Don't separate the two. Include God in the decisions you're making financially. Just include God in it. Pray about it. Seek God about it. This happened recently. I was talking to a a man that that I look to for financial advice sometimes, and and I had some things I was wanting to do, and I said, hey, right now, would you do these things? And he said, no, I would not do those things. Well, these are things I really wanted to do. Does that make sense? I really wasn't asking for, I was kind of looking for, hey, yeah, you should do that. He says, no, I wouldn't. And I can remember I went, prayer. I was like, God, is that? And the Lord absolutely spoke to me, said, don't do anything. And I'm so glad I didn't because that wisdom protected me from some things that I wasn't aware of. And so it is with all of us. We need God to tell us, do you go left? Do you go right? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you invest here? Do you invest there? You need him. You need his peace to lead you and to guide you. And so don't separate your faith from your finances. Expect God to bless you richly. Expect God to pour out his blessing on you. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's not for bigger and bigger. It's for impact. It's for legacy. It's to make a difference. And God is doing that through you. God is doing that in this place. And for some of you, you might be saying, well, how do I take that step? You can take that step however you want to. One, you don't have to do it for seven hills. If you don't have a trust or a confidence in who we are, then maybe God wants you to find a place where you can have trust and confidence and go experience the promises of God in your personal life. Because more important that you're here is that you're somewhere that you can fully trust and believe in. That's so important in your walk with God that you develop this area of your life. And then sell out, dive in, group up, team up, serve, give, build that church and advance the kingdom in that place. Amen? Amen. Find that place as God enables you and speaks to you. Do what he calls you to do. So let's do this real quick. Every eye close, every head bow. We're gonna build an altar. We're gonna put our families on the altar. We're gonna put our... Future on the altar. We're going to put our finances on the altar. As a church, we're doing the same thing. Once again, God, we take everything that you've given us and we set it on the altar. We set it at your feet. And God, we need you to help us. We need you to speak to us. We need you to give us courage. We need you to give us faith. And God, most importantly, we thank you that as we honor you, as we trust you, as we connect with you in your kingdom. We can expect your blessing on our family, on our homes, on our finances, and on our future. In Jesus' mighty name. Just right where you're at, just right in this moment, just maybe between you and God, take a moment and just stir up a fresh confidence. God, I'm gonna step into this area. I'm gonna trust you in this area. I'm not gonna pull back in this area. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to mature in Jesus' name. And as you do that, we thank you that all the dreams, all the visions, all the plans that you give us, we thank you, God, that your blessing is on all that we put our hand to in Jesus' mighty name. We all said amen. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.